welcome to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show, episode 100. Thank you to everyone that's been following the show. Anyone that just found the show, please make sure you subscribe on YouTube so you can see all of these conversations and more in video format. This week's guest is Dee Wallace. Dee has a new book out called Born, where she tells you step-by-step guide of how to improve your life by listening to the universe. She also talks about E.T., Cujo, and more. Next on the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. First thing I want to talk about, I have a lot to talk to you about. Um, I, I want to talk to you, of course, about E.T., being at the 40th anniversary, right? Yep. Um, but first, I want to talk about your new book. Your new book is called Born. Got it right here. Oh, right? thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. I haven't thank finished you. reading it, but so far I'm enjoying it. Um, Good. Giving birth, giving birth to a new you, right? Just came out in December. Yep. Yep. It's helping an enormous amount of people. And it really is the formula to follow for manifesting anything you want in your life. Right. So talk, talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, how does that process work? Okay. Well, everything's energy. We learned that in fifth grade. Energy isn't positive or negative. Energy is neutral. But energy must be directed. If you don't direct it consciously, it will take its direction from your fears, from your childhood mm, teachings that no longer serve you, uh, from old religious beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. Social media. Mm -hmm. So you want most of us are directing energy, but we're not directing it consciously. We're not saying, this is what I want, only focus on this, let me feel joy and love around it, and bring it in. Most of us, when we don't have something that we want, we don't like it. Like, we don't like not having enough money, and we don't like having to worry about money, but that is not going to magnetize money to you from the universe. So whatever you want, you got to be clear about it. You have to commit to it. You feel love and joy around it. And that's your job. Then the universe matches that. See, we're electrical beings. So every feeling we have, is electrical. They measure our hearts with electrocardiograms, our brains with electroencephalograms. Every thought, every feeling we have has an electrical signal that shoots out into the universe, which is electromagnetic. So that signal goes out and the universe goes, oh, I got to find a match. I got to find a match. Boom. There's a match and it's sent back to us in the reality of our life. So if you're getting something in your life you don't want, you must change your belief system so that the signals you start throwing out, the universe can match differently and send you back what you want. Mm, Okay. So, I mean, why do you think most of us, you say most of us don't do that? Why do you think that is? Because we're taught to do We're taught to think from lack instead of from empowerment. We are taught when we're like, you know, you ask a kid, 
what they want for, I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this, right? And then we say, no, that's not all right. That's not being a good little girl and boy. That's selfish. Mm -hmm. You can't ask for everything you want. You know, you'll be lucky if you just get, well, a child's brain is locked in to all those belief systems that they get between the age of conception and eight years old. Your brain is locked. So then you start creating your life around all those limiting things that people who loved you and meant the best taught you incorrectly. <laughs> Which right, is the right. of the fathers being passed down. Right. So so if we're already taught that and that's in our brain, how do we how do we change that? You redirect it. You take the energy and you say, I don't want to think lack anymore. Okay, so what do I want? I want to think abundance. I want to think flow. I want to love money and magnetize money to me. I know money makes me happy when I have it. And start training your brain to default to the positive instead of the limitation right right because yeah because it is easy to fall into the negative into that limitation well because it's like any muscle right we've trained our muscle for many 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 years not to go to the positive so the principle is very easy the challenge is staying conscious and doing it on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But it changes and your life. I'm telling in, you. In your book, you give all the steps to do this. All correct? the steps. It's literally a formula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For how to manifest. And once you know the formula, you apply it to whatever subject you want to work on. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't finished reading your book, but you do talk about love and loving yourself a lot in there. Yep. Um, Why is that so important? Well, if I don't love who I am, if I don't think I'm special, if I don't mm, tap into my magnificence, why would I want to give me everything I want? Mm -hmm. I'm not even worth giving it to Mm -hmm. if I don't love myself. Look, the people that we want to give everything to are the people we love, right? Right. Like, don't you want to give everything to your children? Yes. To make them Very happy? much so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why are we taught never to allow ourselves to be in that line? Right. Good point. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I was raised, we were very poor, and I was raised in a pretty religious home. So I was taught they're the good people. I mean, they're the rich people. We're the good people. So right away, having money was bad. God didn't love me, and people that did love me would judge me. So how can I be a successful actress 30 years later if I believe I'm going to be a bad person when I become successful and make a lot of money? So we, we end up fighting ourselves our little children are literally holding our adult selves back 
Mm-hmm. And the way to society is today, there's probably a lot more of that, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you think so? Oh my gosh, we we are enveloped in judgment mm-hmm. of each other, uh, which creates more judgment against us, which creates more judgment against ourselves. Mm-hmm. Judgment, I mean, they had something in the good book when they said judge not, because from brain science perspective, when you judge something, where does your focus go? On everything you don't want, what you think is bad, what you think needs to be fixed. And you don't ever create what you want by focusing on that. Right, right. Now, you combine religion and brain science and all that in this book, right? I do. And spirituality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're all saying the same thing. Right. Okay. Okay. You know, in the good book, it says, ask and you receive. But people don't understand that ask in the original Hebrew is claim or demand. This will be delivered to me. Brain science says, okay, if you want something, you have to claim it. This is mine. I have this already. And then it manifests into physical form. Mm -hmm. When did you start? When did you first realize all this? When did you, when did all this come to you? Well, it's been a process. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I'm a clairaudient channel, which means I hear messages. Mm -hmm. And that started when I was a very little girl, which most children, by the way, channel. Mm -hmm. We call them their, it's their imagination or their imaginary friends, but they're actually communicating with energy, Mm -hmm. Um, which again, everything is. Right. So. I channeled a lot when I was little, uh, got messages one night when my grandma was in trouble. Uh, I got messages. I would sit on these stairs. We lived in a a duplex house and my grandparents lived above and we lived below. And I would sit on the stairs and talk to my boyfriend and I would hear all the time, help me. Will you help me? Can you help me? And I finally said, you don't need my help. Just go back to heaven. I I didn't. I hadn't uh, finessed the go back to the light or, you know, go back to the positive energy or I was I was still in a religious household. So those were only the only terms. I knew, and I said, look, you don't have to stay here. You're powerful enough to go. I don't know where I got that. That's what came out of my mouth. And you know, after I said that, I never heard the voice again. So you heard the voices like like we're talking now? like Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're not like a voice you could record. Right. But... I I get the information through it's kind of feeling a voice is the okay. best 
the closest I can describe it. Okay. Is that something that uh, startled you a little bit at first? Never. No. Never. It just seemed so natural. Really? Okay. And then my dad, after he committed suicide, mm-hmm. my dad visited me through a light in my room. And I've often thought, you know, if I played that scene in one of my horror films, I'd be going, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah. it was the most natural thing in the world. And I heard him say, it's not your fault. Um this was part of my destiny and my choice so that I could learn what I needed to learn. And your job is to go be happy and live a really successful, happy life. Mm-hmm. And then the light went away. And I went, hmm, yeah, that was daddy. Well, first of all, he called me Button Nose. Button which Nose. Was, which was his nickname for me. <laughs> my nose is. Does it look like a button? I mean, like a button. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. nice. So, so as you said, your dad committed suicide. So, when all this happened, did that make you feel at ease to move forward? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and it served me well. I mean, my little brother committed suicide oh, three no, years ago, and my daughter. They called my daughter first and she said, please don't call mom. I'm I'm driving out there so I can tell her the news in person. And we were supposed to be on a film set shooting that day. We were doing a film together. Oh my goodness. And so she came in, she told us and we both cried and we called the family. And um, four hours later, we were on the set shooting. Oh, my goodness. And well, but people say to me, oh, my God, Dee, how could you do that? And I said, because I remember what my dad told me. There's nothing I could do. There's nothing I could do. I had done absolutely everything for my brother, everything that I could have done. Mm -hmm. I brought him out. I put him through treatment. I loved him whether he was drunk or not. Um, I just did everything I could for him. Mm-hmm. And and then I went to do my movie. Yeah, yeah. Now that happened to you when your husband passed away as well, right? You were on a film yeah. set. Yeah, I was in New Zealand doing The Frighteners. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris had a heart attack, so I flew back. Uh, They did his angioplasty, and he was fine, so I flew back to finish the film. Four days later, he got up, a blood clot hit his heart, and he was gone. And my little girl found him. Oh. So I got on another plane, came back, did his service, got on another plane, went back and finished the film. Hmm. Man, that's amazing how, I mean, you really had to focus then. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. I really didn't know where I was. Uh, You know, New Zealand is halfway around the world. Mm -hmm. And making that trip four times in two and a half weeks, your body just, your brain doesn't know how to. um, So in New Zealand, they're very into 
alternative medicine. And one of my producers worked with this top doctor uh, who did energy work. And she, she took one look at me and she said, Dee, I'm sending you over to her before you go to the set. <laughs> so I went over and she looked at me and she said, oh my God, lay down. You have no, you have, you have no life force left. Mm. And I laid down and she put crystals at different places on me and did some light work with me. And when I got off that table, I felt like I'd been reborn. Really? Which opened up a whole new avenue of healing and interest for me. Uh, and then uh, I, when I got back, I found a chiropractor who did kinesiology and muscle testing. And then I was led to an internist who works with muscle testing. And then I was led to um, somebody who I went to for allergies who worked with a pendulum. And I thought, oh my God, a pendulum would be so much easier. You don't have some, have to have somebody muscle testing you. So I started using the pendulum and you know, when Christopher finally died, I dropped to my knees and I said, I don't want to be pissed off and I don't want to be a victim. I want a way we can heal ourselves. And like that, my channel opened back up. That's amazing. And the first message I got was use the light within you to heal yourself. Wow. And now you you spread that right because you do you talk and you teach this to others correct i do teach it i do private sessions every day i've just passed i my 650th show on my radio show every sunday morning at 9 a.m pacific um i have six books out about right. it now and uh, you know when you learn the truth and your life changes so dramatically and the lives of your students and friends and clients change so dramatically you've got to start sharing how to do it you've just got to that's awesome so if somebody are you taking uh clients or are you full oh no 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 okay they can sign up for private sessions um Okay. Might be a couple or three weeks out. I'm shooting. <laughs> I'm shoot. I'm shooting a great TV show, a recurring role, and and two films coming up. So holy moly! Yeah, I got a lot on my plate. You always have, from what I, I remember, know. right? You're I always know. working. I I am, which is part of my. You know, I I say to my clients, if you need proof of this work look at my life yeah uh, so many people buy into the belief uh that older women in my business don't work you know i have no no belief in that at all because <laughs> as you believe 
it does show up as the reality of your life. So again, if you want to change what you don't like in your life, you have got to start focusing on what beliefs will give you the life you want. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. So if we're believing what we want to have happen, is it come in signs or will it come plain as day where we know, hey, this is what we're going forward. We got to really watch for those little signs. Well, I, Does that, that makes sense. Well, yeah. Um, if you're talking about people that have passed over, mm -hmm. you look for signs. Mm -hmm. But as far as manifesting money or manifesting uh, breakthroughs in your success or your relationships or your health, no, it shows up pretty much in your face. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, when you released this book, you also released a children's book at the same time, I believe. I did. Buffalopaloo and the I Love Me. What's it called? Buffalopaloo. Yep. Yeah. And okay. the I Love Me. Buffalopaloo is a little bear that really, in spiritual terms, represents higher consciousness. But for a kid, he's just a best friend mm -hmm. who helps the kid be the best he can be. Because, again, a child's brain is totally formulated by eight years old around his self-esteem and how he sees himself in the world. So I wanted to write a series of books that would reach children at an early age and teach them their self-empowerment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is this one book or is it a series of books? It's one. It's the first of a series of books. And so excited about this. We're in talks, um, close talks with uh, creating it into a children's series. Nice. Yeah. Nice. TV show. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, is the little bear, do you have little bears, like real stuffed bears? I do. You They're do? They're not available anymore. Hold on, I'll get <laughs> <Okay>. one. <laughs> this is Buffalopaloo. There he is. There he is. And the, ch the child would push his paw, and he says, 12 really empowering statements like, I love my body. And then hopefully the parent teaches the child to have the child mirror that back to Bubba. So mm -hmm. Bubba says, I love my body. And the child says, I love my body. Right. And Bubba says, I am so loved. And the child says, I am so loved. So it really builds up uh, a child's knowledge of their own empowerment and their self-love, which is what none of us were ever taught. Mm -hmm. We were taught that that was selfish and very full of ourselves, right? If we, um, if we said how magnificent we are. I remember coming home from... There, Bob. There I remember coming home from a recital 
one night and I, it was my first solo and I had worked for months on this solo. And I was sitting in the backseat. My aunt was here and my mom was driving. And I burst out, oh, mommy, I was good, wasn't I? I was really, really good. And my aunt turned around to me with her pointer finger and said, Deanna Bowers, you never say you're good. And if somebody else says you're good, you say, no, I'm not. What? Why would she say that? Well, because she was raised Southern Baptist. Hmm. And that's what they were taught. You never, ever, what, what, what's the phrase? Stoked your own boat or whatever. You never sang your own phrases. Never. Hmm. You know, so you put that with they're the rich people, we're the good people, mm-hmm. which I was taught, you know, and how are you going to put those two things together and be a successful working actress who makes a lot of money? Right, right. That's what I mean. Your your little child in you thinks they're protecting you, but they're fighting the adult self against what you want to create now Mm -hmm. so the more conscious you can become of what you were verbally taught or even more important what was modeled in front of you the clearer you get where your blocks are in your Mm -hmm. adult life Mm -hmm. let's go back this is heavy information for the father of four, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. I got to get my wife to read this book too, by the way. I'm going to read this. <laughs> um, but let's go back a little bit to how you got started because you were born and grew up in Kansas, I believe, right? Yep. Kansas And City. then you, you went to New York, not LA or Hollywood. You went to New York on your I own. I did. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask, why did you go to I, New York? You place? know, I'd never been out of Kansas in my life. And um, I think back then, back in the old days. <laughs> Way back um, then. Um, you know, real actors went to New York. Real actors were stage actors, mm-hmm. you know. So everybody said, are you kidding me? You don't know anybody. Nobody knows you. Why do you think you're crazy? And I went, yes, I am. (laughs) And here I go. And so this is a fabulous story. So in the school, I taught high school. And in the library, we got the New York Times. And in the New York Times, there was an article about Hal Prince, the biggest producer on Broadway, looking for an unknown to star in a little night music. So I wrote him this very, very cheesy letter. God, I wish I had kept a copy of it. Took a cheesier picture like this. Oh, geez. Um, And had my brother's friend who took pictures for the school newspaper come over and take that picture of me. (laughs) And I sent it off to help Prince. You don't have a copy of that picture, do you? I do somewhere. You do? I do. Was it, is it next to Bubble Lopolo? Can, you, can <laughs> no. you go get it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and 
Do you know, three weeks later, Mr. Prince's secretary called and said, Mr. Prince got your letter and your picture and he would like to fly you to New York to audition you. There you go. Well, welcome to Deanna Bowers raised very, very strictly and always told the truth. So <laughs> I said, oh, when, when does Mr. Prince need me? And she gave me the date and I said, oh, oh, I've already got a ticket to come in on that day. What time are the auditions? Five o'clock. I said, oh, I get there at two o'clock. So he doesn't have to pay for yeah. <laughs> You know, he would have brought me in two days early and put me up and probably flown me first class. Anyway, so the day I landed in New York, I took all my belongings, put him in a taxi cab, handed the address to the driver and said, hi, I have to go to Rockefeller Center to audition. Can you take all my <laughs> stuff to this address? And they all got there. That wouldn't happen today. Oh, now you see in my <laughs> life, I think it would. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair so enough. I went on down to Rockefeller Center. I got down to the last five girls in the acting and the dancing. And then they said, all right, Mr. Prince would like to hear you sing. And I went, uh -oh. oh, I didn't know we had to sing. <laughs> she says, well, dear, it is a musical. No, no. Yeah, so that's a pretty important part. And the accompanist says to me, what key, honey? And I went, somewhere in the middle. <laughs> so he says, that's okay, babe. Sing happy birthday. So my first day in New York, I got down to the last five girls, sang happy birthday for Hal Prince, and went to my apartment. And it was done. <laughs> oh, man. You should have sang it. Did you sing it like Marilyn Monroe? God, no. <laughs> that Maybe you should have. Maybe I should have. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have even known what you were referring to back then. <laughs> so, okay. So, so here you are in New York now. And then what happened? Um, I went to an audition. I met a guy. Uh, he took me to a Halloween party. And I looked very cute and darling. I was dressed up like a little kitty cat with a leotard. <laughs> and um, at, the end, at the end of the night, uh, these three people came over to me and, and said, you know, we'd like you to come by the office Monday. We think we'd like to work with you. And I went, oh, what do you do? Well, they were, at the time, the Marge Fields Agency was one of the biggest agents in New York. Uh, and they wanted to hire me for commercials. So I signed with him. And I literally had five dollars and some cents left to my name and i called my older brother and i said denny i can i borrow a thousand dollars and he said okay and the week later i booked a united airlines commercial i'm going to show you what i did yeah that was it i That's was it. a friendship girl and i made twenty thousand dollars when was this in the 70s? 
Yeah. That's a lot of money. Uh, let me tell you, it, more money than my parents saw in a year. Yeah. Wow. I Just mean, I thought I died and gone to heaven. And I I went on to do over 400 commercials. Wow. So you were being very successful with the commercials. Yeah. And I stayed in New York two years. And I was also dancing because I started out as a dancer. Right. And I was doing a lot of uh, shows for products, you know, and I I got a show as a Kugel peanut. <laughs> a peanut? For Kugel peanut butter. And I danced my way across America to L.A. as a Kugel peanut. And um, I said, you know, I'm going to stay for a little while and see if, if there's any interest here. And so I got a friend because I got a commercial agent like that. And I got a friend to signed with them. And he got me signed with Brett Adams. And I was off and running. But the first job I got was the part of the waitress in Lucas Tanner. And you mm -hmm. couldn't get on the lots back then. So I baked chocolate chip cookies because that's what we did when we wanted to meet somebody in Kansas. And I wrapped him up in this fancy cellophane stuff with big bows. And I went to the guard gate and I said, hi, I've got deliveries. He said, all right, go on through. They just let you through with cookies. Yeah. So I spent the day taking baskets of chocolate chip cookies to different casting directors. And the last one was Ruben Cannon, who was the head casting director. And he came out while I was here. He went, oh, chocolate chip cookies, my favorite. Come on in. <laughs> so I went in. And when I was in the office, he got a call. And he said, look, the girl who was going to play the waitress is sick. And the scene's up in a half an hour. What should we do? And he covered the phone. And he said, what size do you wear? I said, what size do you need, honey? <laughs> Didn't matter. You were ready. And I went and I stuck myself into that size four. <laughs> and that was my first film. And then my friend that had got me with Brett Adams got me an opening shot of a girl that gets raped in streets of San Francisco. So I had two credits in like two weeks, you know? But that's what I mean. When you're in alignment, when you're in harmony, when you're in love with what you do and you don't listen to anybody, you just take action wherever you're moved to, like chocolate chip cookies, yeah. the universe brings it to you. Right. Your right. job is to just be in harmony and love with, and, and be very clear about what you want to create. Did you know today is National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day? <laughs> I, I heard didn't. that on the news this morning. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, you must listen to 60s channel. Six? What's that? On Sirius? Oh, no, 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 no. This was just oh. the local news they were talking oh, about. Oh, there's a guy that goes, this is this day and this day and this day and this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, 
So that's funny. National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. Well, and here we are. Here we are talking about chocolate chip cookies in your career. Yum, yum. <laughs> so, so what was your mainstream film that really got you in there? Was it The Howling or? No, I think it was 10. 10. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, because, you know, at that time, Blake Edwards was the biggest, most prolific writer, producer, director there, that we had. Mm -hmm. And to work with Blake was a big deal. Okay. And um, and so I had a really good piece of film uh, to add to my reel that was very prestigious. Mm -hmm. I had done, you know, the hills have eyes. So I had the horror stuff on there. What's that scared the crap out of me when I was a kid, by the way? <laughs> well, good. I did my <laughs> job then. And, um, but 10, I think I always considered 10 my, my big breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, so then you got into ET without auditioning, I heard, right? I did. Yep. I had auditioned for Steven. Uh, for a little night music years before. But Stephen works very far ahead, you know? Okay. So he was already talking with Melissa Madison about E.T. and formulating his ideas about it. So when E.T. E came along, he just called and offered me the role. Again, again, you yeah. see, being in alignment and it just comes to you. Right. Right. So I heard also that E.T., when you were cast, when he got you in there, you had long hair and then you cut it for the role. Oh, on my your God. Own. You really have done your studying, haven't you? It's true. <laughs> true. Because, you know, most of the films I had done before were independent films. And in independent films, a lot of times you pick your own wardrobe and a lot of them, I even did my own makeup and stuff. Mm. So it never occurred to me to check with Stephen if that was okay. And he was pissed off, right? Well, yeah, he was a little, <laughs> I don't know if pissed off is the right word, but he was taken aback. <laughs> and he walked out and he looked at me, he said, do you cut your hair? I said, yeah, do you like it? Because <laughs> I went to this really expensive guy and I told him what the part was and and that I was a working mom and I didn't have a lot of time to take care of myself. I think it's really good for the part. You know, <laughs> He saw this very naive, well-meaning young woman who had really screwed up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And his concern, I found out later, was it was going to be harder to match. Mm. But the hairstylist assured him that he could, she could keep it trimmed and keep it so that it matched for the three months we did the film. Right, because it's of course it never occurred to me. Right. Know? Well, right, because if you're filming for three months, you could film the ending of the movie in the beginning correct yeah but yeah, we okay. didn't in et we shot everything in sequence did you okay was that a um was that an easy film to shoot i mean you worked with a lot of children on that film oh i love working with kids kids are some of the easiest people to work with really 
oh, they don't come in with any agendas or any hangups or, yeah, I love working with kids and I love working with dogs, as a matter of fact. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, it was an easy film to shoot and there was a huge amount of waiting around that was really hard for me. Waiting, what were you waiting for? Like the way Steven works, you're on the set whether you work or not. Mm-hmm. So I would go in every morning and I would get in makeup. And then I would sit in my room until seven o'clock when I went home. And that's <laughs> and do nothing? tough on an actor. That it's is. Tough. So are you the type you like to just be going, right? When you're on a set, you want to Yeah. Have you looked at my IMDb? (laughs) (laughs) I have. That's what I'm saying. You're constantly going. Um, E.T. had Drew Barrymore in it when she was, I don't even know how old she was. Six. Six years old. Yeah. Could you see that she was going to become what she became at six years old? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You just know when you see that. Well, she walked up to me the first day on the set and I was in this high director's chair and she looked up at me and she said, hi, I'm going to sit on your lap now. (laughs) And I said, all right, Drew, come on up. She's saying what she wants, right? And she walked up to Henry Thomas and she said, how many films have you done? He said, oh, I've starred in one film. She said, I've starred in four. (laughs) So... She was very precocious, knew who she was, you know, yeah, we all knew she was going to do be a producer director. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how was it working with E.T. himself? He was like an animatronic working, and costume, right? Well, it was mostly a costume when we worked with him. Okay, okay. And so um, there were various little people, and I'm... Mm-hmm. I hope I'm using the correct term there sure. and honoring them with that term uh, that performed. And there was also a little boy with no legs uh, and they would put him in upside down and he walked on his hands. Oh my and that's goodness. how we got E.T.'s walk. Really? Yeah. Wow. There was a mimist who had an arm who did all the you know, placing of the Reese's pieces and all uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. A lot of elements that went into E.T., but when you actually did a scene with E.T., um, you somebody was in the costume, and it was like working with another actor for me. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. It, did it feel like you were working with, yeah. like, some, E.T.? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And was he, did uh, Stephen keep him kind of like alive throughout the whole yeah. shoot i heard yeah we found drew over there talking to her to him one day and Stephen walked by and went oh so from then on there were two people assigned to et whenever et was standing in the corner to work some of his hydraulics so when drew was talking to him he mm. would react because mm. you know at that age they can't differentiate reality and fantasy a lot. Sure. Sure. Okay. And then um, you, your role in that was a single mother. Yeah. Right. That was, was that one of the first films that had a single mother in it like that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 
Stephen thinks it was the first film. I I don't I can't verify that, but we right think so. right. And did you get a lot of that that like did you take some of that from your own mother? Oh, you bet. But I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't mm-hmm. do it consciously. I didn't base Mary on my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew instinctively what a mother who had to get up and go to work and come home at seven and fix dinner and never knew what my mom hardly ever knew what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank God for grandma. She had some of the strings on us, you know, yeah. but I was like, the boys are, were a different story, but I was like the perfect kid. I always did everything right. Were you? <laughs> I was. I was. I always did everything to the book. And then you got a little wild when you got older? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would like to think that I could describe <laughs> myself that way. Um, the wildest thing I think I ever did was when I was shooting 10 mm-hmm. in Las Hadas, Mexico and Dudley and I and a bunch of the crew went out and we had a few drinks and we ended up Dudley and I dancing on the top of a table. Oh geez. <laughs> I mean that's pretty wild for a girl from Kansas. You know? <laughs> if we only had cell phone video at that but time. But I know how to party. I do know how to party. I bet. I bet. Um, what was I going to ask you next? I don't know. I don't know either. I just went blank. Um, oh, you know what I wanted to ask you was about the screening of E.T. When you finally saw the whole movie, do you remember that? I mean, was it? Oh, you yeah, know- I remember it. It was horrible. I came home horrible. and said to my, well, because the first screening I saw was with all the suits right. from Universal. So... Nobody reacted because God forbid that their boss reacted differently, right? And I said, came home and said to my husband, oh, my God, I think my career's over. Nobody laughed. Nobody cried. No. He took my hand and he said, come on, we're going to the Cinerama Dome and we're going to watch it with an audience. Well, I walked out of there and I thought, we've got a hit. Yeah. How could they not cry? Everybody cries at E.T. Yeah, well, not when you're <laughs> a suit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so you all knew... different world, the suit world. Right. So you knew when they when you saw it with with oh god, it was yes. gonna be a people hit. were laughing and crying and standing up and cheering when they got away. And yeah. I mean, you know, it was that had to feel great. Yeah, I mean. You know, I've watched the scene probably uh, the the movie probably now 150 times. Mm-hmm. I cry every time. Sure, sure. I just showed it to my kids for the first time. Oh, lovely! Uh, a couple weeks ago, they loved it. <clears throat> then we went to Universal, and they had to buy stuffed ETs. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's all sorts of new product out for the 40th anniversary too Mm -hmm. did you know that the et ride is the only original ride at universal now that was there when it opened in in orlando it's not there oh in orlando yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i helped open it did you 
Yeah. Your picture's still in there, by the way. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. Um, but yeah, so E.T., great movie. And then after E.T., you went right into Cujo, right? Wasn't that like a year apart or so? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So totally different direction. Totally. And Cujo's then, my favorite film of mine, though. That you've ever done? Yeah. Why? You know, it just asked me to go places that I didn't even know I could go. I just used everything I had mm -hmm. as truthfully as I could. And I'm just really proud of my work in that film. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was a very emotional ride. Um, yeah, when you see it as a parent, it's a whole different emotional ride than when mm. you saw it when you were younger. Trust me. Mm -hmm. Was that hard to make that film? Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Wow. Was make that film. Wow. You know, your your brain and your body don't know that you're acting. So you go through the same chemical imbalance uh, that you would if you were really in fight or flight for eight or 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. So you're in constant trauma. And they uh, treated me for exhaustion for three weeks after I finished that film. Oh, geez. I'm still on adrenal, uh, on adrenal supplements for my adrenals because I blew them out. From that film? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you that... think it's easy crying all that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't for do every it. scene you see, we probably shot it 15 times. Oh no. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was watching that film, you can just feel the heat, but it was not hot from what I understand. No, it was cold. Right. So did that I actually add to... uh had them put a heater in the car for us because I looked over at Danny. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going like that, uh, you know, because they'd spritz us down to make us look like we were sweating and hot. And everything. He had no clothes on half the movie. Yeah. Oh, man. I know. <laughs> Magic of movies. That's amazing. Because if you're looking at that film, you really, it does make you feel hot. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. How about the dogs? The dogs were beautiful. There were 13 dogs that played Cujo. Uh, all trained to go after toys. So we had to tie their tails down most of the time because they were wagging them all the time. Because <laughs> they're too happy. Um, and we didn't want to overwork any of the dogs. Mm -hmm. So they were each trained to do different tricks. So they could all... And Carl Miller, oh my God, he... He had those dogs trained within an inch of their life, and he took such good care of them. Those dogs were so well taken care of. He even slept in the barn with them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, recently, you worked with Rob Zombie on the new Monsters coming out, correct? Well, I have a voiceover in the a voiceover. I've done five films with Rob. I right. Adore him so much. And when Rob calls and says, D, would you do this? I say, yes. 
So he said, I know it's not much, but can you do this voiceover? And I said, yes. And I did it in my closet. Yeah. Technology is amazing these days with that. Well, I've got a real good microphone. So, (laughs) Yeah. So he's worked with you, like you said, on five movies. Um, So you guys just have a connection, I guess. Oh, I just, I love his heart. I love his creativity. I, I love his no nonsense. And he and Sherry are just the sweetest damn couple together. Mm -hmm. I just love them. I love them both. How is he on set, working on set with him? Is he pretty directive or is he let you kind of do your own thing? What you feel on the part? Yeah. Both. He knows exactly what he wants. And then he says, okay, everybody bring in your best ideas. And I love that. I love that freedom Mm -hmm. as an actor of allowing those hits to come up, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's yeah it's wonderful as an actor okay okay all right so people can get your book born at yeah. your website if your they website. want me to inscribe it they can email me uh info at i am dwallace.com or they can get it on amazon all my books on amazon and it's also available in an audiobook now i saw it is yes and Do you I, narrate it I narrated it, yeah. Nice, nice, okay. Would I turn my baby over to somebody else? I would hope not, but you never know. <laughs> now, I wanted to have my my essence and my heart. That's awesome. I'm through on it, yeah. That's awesome, awesome. All right, Dee, well, listen, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, I could keep talking to you. Maybe we'll have to do it again and talk some <laughs> oh, more Oh, let's do it again, and for then, sure. Uh, and then... Uh, Yeah. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. You bet. I have had so much fun. Awesome. I really have. Yeah. And you go back and watch Cujo as a parent now. You'll appreciate it more.